Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. of Lent. Lent is a time in which we as here at Orange Villa, we take the next six weeks and we're going to contemplate and dwell on the fact that our Christ's crucifixion but also his resurrection is coming soon. So for us, we'll start each service uh, with our first song with a Lenten reading in which we'll share some scripture and just to encourage us as we dwell on this. Um, And what we'll do is in, in Advent, you light a candle each week But in Lent, we will be extinguishing a candle each week. And with that, I would pray that you take to heart as you spend the next six weeks contemplating and praying that the Lord will be glorified during this time of Lent and of Easter. Scripture tells us that God created the universe from galaxies to water spiders. He created the breeze that calms us and the hurricane that terrifies us. All of it is to show us what he is like, to display his glory and personality. But people have let themselves be blinded to the truth. Some take all of God's creation for granted and say it just got here somehow. There's no need for God, the fool shouts. Others worship the things that were created and don't see God behind it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from his work that he had done in creation. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely, His internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they came futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And God's people said, Father, we live in a world that has denied you, forgotten you, and have reasoned you out of distance to proclaim your truth to those 
that are fools. Not out of pride will we share it, but out of love and compassion for those whose hearts and minds have been blinded by Satan, the God of this world. For as they were, so once were we, dead in our trespasses of sin. But Father God, you being rich in mercy, you have made us alive. May we rejoice in that this morning. May we be encouraged by that this morning. And may we sing and pray and listen to your word, apply it to scripture. May we give with the strength that you so freely given us as sons of God. We thank you for this opportunity and privilege. We pray. Amen. This morning, in my pastor's prayer, I'd like to do something different. According to a bear report on March 5th of 2014, Kim Jong-un, the supreme leader of North Korea, has called for the execution of 33 people for reportedly working as accomplices to the South Korean Baptist missionary Kim Jong-wook and planning to help him create 500 underground churches. As we meet here today under freedom, you have the choice to be here or not. You have the choice in which church to attend to, which Bible to buy and to read out of. But there are many who cannot do so. And if you know anything of North Korea, the new regime there, the supreme leader is a very violent and vicious man who kills indiscriminately and violently with no dignity for humans. And so this morning, i like for us, in the safety of our own pew, that we would pray for our brothers and sisters, not only in North Korea, but in many places, including Ukraine and others, China, in which they are not enjoying the same freedoms and understand what suffering for Christ truly means. Would you join with me as we pray? Dear Father, you are a holy God who never forgets His people. You sustain them with your love, as Scripture says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, for great is your faithfulness. Forget not our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sustain them in the midst of their suffering and persecution. Strengthen their minds and bind up their spirits that they may endure with faith. May they join the great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to that Lamb, and may that be proclaimed throughout the world. Reward them for their courage and faithfulness to you. Do not let them hope in vain, for Scripture tells us they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, it says, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. 
For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to the springs of living water. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. May they find encouragement from this this morning. Father, we thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus, for whose name they are persecuted. For there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which by we may be saved. He is our righteous King that Jeremiah foretold when he wrote, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness land. And this is by the name by which he will call the Lord is our righteousness. So, Father, one day you will judge these wicked men and they will receive the due recompense that is due for their ignorance and for their hatred towards you. We also rejoice for we are assured that one day the great dragon will be thrown down. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, it writes, he will be thrown down to the earth and his angels will go down with him. For scripture has assured us that salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ will come for the accuser of our brothers will be thrown down and the one who accuses them day and night before our God. Bind the Satan today. Encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ as they have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they have not loved their own lives, even to the point of death. Father, our voices and our hearts join with them this morning. We pray this in the name of your Son. And God's people said, remember them this week. Pray for our brothers and sisters that are persecuted for the name of Christ. For one day we may be called to the same task. Take your Bibles, turn to Galatians. We are so close to the end of Galatians. We're on message 24. Next week we will finish Galatians and then work our way to its kissing cousin, opposite side of the coin, as we go to the book of James and look at faith and works. But I'm glad you've been with us. If you missed any of them, they are on our website, orangevilla.org. Also, you can go to iTunes and just search Walking by Faith, and you'll find that there also, well as some other uh, types of things. So I encourage you, share with them if you've been blessed by one of them. Let others know and take an opportunity to write. And then that's way you can always tell me which mistakes I've made. I'm always open to that. That just makes my day when I open those emails. Boast in the cross, Galatians chapter 6 we are in. 11 through 17, in his defense of the gospel, Paul has pointed out that there is no benefit in trying to produce one's own righteousness in observing the Mosaic law. And this was never the purpose of the law, but unfortunately, many of the Jewish leaders had relegated it to making it a way in which they justified themselves before a holy God. During his earthly ministry, Jesus had charged the Pharisees with this very error, and yet we see the Judaizers continuing with that. At the time of this letter to the Galatians, the Judaizers had been instructing the Christians that they too must observe the law through circumcision, through dietary laws, and so on and so forth. You see, they were afraid of the freedom that is found in Christian liberty. 
They believed it would lead to lawlessness. There's no way that we are saved by grace. For God's grace is fathomless. There's no way that God would ever save by that. But yet, Paul has been denouncing that and saying, yes, we are saved through grace by faith. Paul has answered their objection one by one, and we've been spending some time over the last few months looking at those objections. And that was to prove the true freedom in Christ leads to godly living and that trying to produce one's own righteousness actually leads to slavery and death. But freedom, we understand, can be abused. So Paul gives some admonition on how you and I are to live within the boundaries of that Christian liberty. And that's what we spent in some time doing the last few weeks. We saw that we're called to fulfill the law of Christ, which simply means to love our neighbor as ourselves. And they were to show their love for their neighbor by meeting the practical needs of others. In a nutshell, Paul is calling them, as we saw last week, is that the church is to put their freedom in action by fulfilling the law of Christ, by fulfilling or by loving their neighbors. And concern for one another is important, especially giving special consideration for fellow believers, for Christians, for those that are the household of faith. And he has called us to give financial help by being cheerful givers rather than reluctant, stingy givers. And I pray that you have spent some time dwelling on that and praying and asking God to expose the motives and the desires of your heart that you may too become a cheerful, generous giver, for God is a cheerful, generous giver. Paul now takes one last effort in his closing to warn the churches of Galatia about the message and the ministry of the Judaizers and their persons by identifying and contrasting their motives with his. So here's with us Galatians chapter 6, 11 through 17. Let's read that passage together. As Paul writes, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my hand, my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may be boast or that they may boast in your flesh. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to them, the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Father, open up this word to us. Lord, let us listen with attentive hearts and ears. Father, send your spirit that it may not be quenched. Break down any barriers, break down the sleep, break down the the exhaustion many of us have. And may you give us clarity of mind to examine your word, to receive it with gladness, and to faithfully apply it. May the Spirit's work be done. Be with me as I speak. Let me speak humbly. Let me speak according to your word. And may you be glorified. God's people said, Amen. Thank you. I want to make some observations very quickly. 
and then we'll go into looking at what he's trying to share with us here, and then look what God wants us to do about it. The first observation we see in this letter is that Paul usually takes the pen from those whom he would dictate. Typically, Paul would dictate a letter. Uh, he had difficulty sometimes seeing. He might have had difficulty writing an instrument. We don't really know. But it seems that his practice was that he would dictate a letter, an epistle, and then at the end he would write the greeting to authenticate and say, this letter is from me. We see this multiple times in the closing of his letter. Maybe this week you might like to take some time and look in the letters he writes and sees how he does it. However, this time, this description is a little different as he writes in verse 11. When he writes, see with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand. This, hand, this seems to indicate either that Paul was so moved by the error of the Judaizers that he wrote the, the letter of Galatia himself. And just not the closing, but the whole letter. For he says, see, I'm writing you with my own hand, not the greeting. Uh, but he was so moved, or that he wrote the ending with very large letters, which would be typical of a public proclamation that would be hung up by a government to drive home the difference between himself and his opponents. So in either case, it's not told, but he says, you see with what large letters I'm writing. This is something that he has drawn attention because I need you to understand what I'm talking about Paul is doing here. The second observation is found in verses 12 and 13. As we see that the motivations of the Judaizers is twofold, and you might have caught this. Verse 12, it says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised, it says in verse 13, do not themselves keep the law. They're hypocrites. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. You see, they desire to avoid the persecution that preaching and following the gospel brings. And they longed for the praise and adoration of men. They did not want the pain that comes with it. John MacArthur, writing on this passage, says that the Judaizers were motivated by religious pride and wanted to impress others with their external piety. And before you wag a finger at them, there are many pews in churches that are filled with the same type of attitude. I probably should change pews to chairs, for most churches have chairs now. The Judaizers, he continues to write, were more concerned about their personal safety than correct doctrine. By adhering more to the Mosaic law than to the gospel of Jesus, they hoped to avoid social and financial ostracism from other Jews and maintain their protected status as Jews within the Roman Empire. I've known people like that. I've known people who all they go to church for is for the networking that they can do for their business or for some other type of purpose. But here, their purpose was very personal and very selfish. The gospel, the cross, brought suffering and persecution. You weren't liked. You could be ostracized. You're one of those people you're preaching that a Christ was crucified? What a stumbling block to the Jews and what an enigma to the Gentiles. They would not understand it. Those are criminals. But they just seek to boast in someone else. See, the Judaizers were no better 
than the Pharisees during Jesus' time and those he encountered in his ministry. Turn, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 23. As we read the first seven verses, and the rest of the chapter goes on and gives them six or seven woes, I believe. But in Matthew chapter 23, join with us in verse 1, when then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. That's a seat of authority. That's a seat of teaching and a privilege. So do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They would not bear one another's burdens. They do all their deeds, verse 5, to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Speaking of the phylacteries in which they would put little books on their head, and then they would make their fringes long, and they use those almost like prayer beads and things of that nature. Verse 6, And they love the place of honor at feast, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbi by others. And just like them, the Judaizers were not really devoted to the law of God. They just wanted to impress others and maintain their own influence. And unfortunately, we have many that are like that today. The third observation is in verses 14 and 15. And that's the motivation and conviction now of Paul. We saw the motivation and conviction of the Judaizers. Now let's look at Paul. Look at verse 14 of Galatians 6. He writes, But, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor the uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul takes no confidence in the flesh. That's the work of circumcision. Rather than his confidence is based in the work of Christ to make us right with God and enable us to become a part of God's family. The word boast here means to rejoice, to celebrate, to make known. Not the boasting that we think of of trash talking or to build one else, but he says, I boast in it, I rejoice in it, I celebrate, I exult in the cross of Christ. Paul considers himself dead to the opinions and thoughts of the world. He's so different than the Judaizers. And for him, he says, I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what the opinions of others. If I'm socially ostracized, if financially I suffer, if for some reason economically or politically, I don't care. I'm dead to the world, as you and I should be. For the Bible says that love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, right? For all that is in the world, it says it's passing away. The lust of the, flesh, uh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and the lust of the flesh. Paul says that no longer has any bearing on what I do. He's not motivated to seek out the adoration of the world or what the world has to offer. He's not into numbers and buildings and programs and ministries large financial sums. Paul has nothing to do with that. As far as, far as Paul is concerned, he doesn't care if one is circumcised or not. 
all his concern at, have you become a new creature? Are you now been born again? Have you received the name of Christ? Paul had written in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you want to turn to it, you can real quickly. I'm not going to wait. But 1 Corinthians 7, 18-19. He writes, was that anyone at the time of his calling, speaking of being born again, was anyone at the time of his calling circumcised? Don't seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his calling uncircumcised? Well, let him not seek circumcision. He's saying that stuff doesn't matter. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. For those of you who are here in Sunday school, the only way that any of us could ever keep and desire to do the will of God, it's through the Spirit. So the only mark that Paul is concerned with is if you have the Spirit, if you are a son of God. The fourth observation I wish to point out today is Paul's desire for the Galatians in verses 16 and 17. Here he gets very personal, very friendly. For he says, As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. For now on let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul ends this part of his message today or his letter with a prayer wish that those who accept the message of the gospel to experience the peace and mercy that God provides for His children. And this is important because this is a church in turmoil. There is no peace. There is no mercy. The Judaizers seek to force them to be circumcised. They are causing division into this church, as many will do to the churches of God today. But Paul says that's not the mark of a Christian. Let peace and mercy be upon those who follow the gospel. That's his wish for them. As for those who do not or want to still question Paul's motivation or his message or his ministry, he simply directs them to the scars that he carries on his body. And we read before in 2 Corinthians, I believe, where Paul writes about the times that he's been beaten and struck and whipped and shipwrecked and stoned. Paul was a walking monument to one who suffers for the case of Christ. Paul says, you got a problem with me? Don't look and see if I have foreskin's been cut off. He says, look at the marks that I carry. He was probably a beaten, bent over, broken man. He says that there's nothing that you look at me and say, boy, look at him. The Bible actually says that his look, his vision, the way he looked was contemptible. But yet his weight letters were waiting. That's, he says, don't trouble me with things that don't matter. What are you worrying about whether or not someone's been cut? Or whether you eat this food or eat that food or worship on a Saturday or a Sunday? These things don't matter. These are not the things that I'm going to suffer for. I'm not going to die on that hill. Bear on me the marks of Christ. If you're not ready to suffer for your beliefs, he says, then leave me alone. The Judaizers, they're running scared. 
They're not people to follow. They're not people to listen to. To Paul, the only mark that counts is not circumcision, the mark of the Old Testament, but rather the marks of Christ that promotes the gospel. Amen? I'd like to share with you now three things as we go on of what Paul is trying to teach them through these observations. The first one, if you're taking notes, is that those who do not stand in the gospel are under a curse. If you do not stand in the gospel, you are under a curse. We had read earlier in Galatians chapter 1, you'll see it there, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be what? Accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. In other words, he's saying you cannot trust in both circumcision, your own work, your own producing your own righteousness, and the cross, that of Christ's work. To do so would lead to the loss of the benefit of Christ. Romans 10 tells us, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, my own words adding there, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So he's shouting to them, listen, you can't do this and have confidence in this. You must choose one or the other. To choose to produce your own righteousness leads to slavery and death. To trust in the work of Christ leads to freedom, liberty, and life. What do you choose today? Those who do not stand in the gospel are under a curse. And let me share with you, there are many churches today that still may preach a works-oriented salvation. To add any type of work to salvation is to make the cross of no benefit. We were talking this week at the Shepherds Conference. And I encourage any of you to go to shepherdconference.org and you can download many of the talks and the messages. Great, great messages. But one of the Q&As was on Duck Dynasty. Now, I'll admit, I am, you like Duck Dynasty. I pretty much have had my fill of it, but I do like them. They, they seem to have a good testimony. They seem to love God. But the question was that in their faith, as they proclaim the gospel, they belong to a denomination that believes that you are not saved until you got baptized. So they believe in, in baptism regeneration. In other words, you must not only profess Christ, but you must be baptized. And once you're baptized, then you're saved. So the questions to these learned pastors was, what do you think of that? Well, long story short, in the end, that becomes an extra work. The Bible tells us, believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth. Baptism is something that every believer is commanded to do. He says to be repent and to be baptized. But baptism is not a work that secures our salvation, but it's a work in which we publicly confess what Christ has done for us. So unfortunately, they're adding a work. And in there, they are in danger of damnation to their own soul, even though they proclaim Christ. So I pray, whether or not they really truly believe that, that they may repent of that error 
And I would encourage you to be careful of what we bring into our home. Be careful of what we call forth. Matthew McConaughey this past week, I think many of you may have heard of it, in the Oscars, he begins to give glory to God, glory to God, glory to God for all the gifts. There's no way I could have done this without God, but yet the movie he was in has him in a sex scene with two women. I haven't seen it. I'm reading things, and I wouldn't promote the movie in any way. But his lifestyle has shown one who does not follow after God. I don't know what he stands for, but again, I would pray that he may one day find Christ. And if it's true, maybe he has, and his life is now in the work of sanctification. But let me tell you, we must stand in Christ alone. Those who do not stand in the gospel are under a curse. Number two, the gospel must be preeminent in all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul had written to that church that struggled. He says, For I decided to know nothing, it says, among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul was a very intelligent man. He knew the law. He knew Greek philosophy. He knew multiple languages. He was a man who could probably hold his own with the scholars and theologians and the philosophers of even today. But yet he says all of that I count as lost, as manure, because Christ is the only thing that is worth knowing. The gospel must be preeminent in all things. It must be preeminent in our way of life. It must be prominent in our testimony, in our sharing what Christ has done for us, and in our knowledge. For who can know all things but to neglect Christ is a sad thing, for there's no life in knowledge. It just puffs up. And let me challenge you. We as a church, we need to remember that the gospel, the cross, must always be at the forefront of our hearts, of our thinking, of our testimony, and our way of life. The third thing Paul is trying to teach them here is that the gospel will demand your total allegiance. And our brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea are finding that out in the most dire and awful way. The churches of China know this. The churches that are underground in Muslim countries, they understand this. It's us in the Western world that struggle. For we think that we can have our cake and eat it too. Jesus himself said you cannot serve both mammon and God. You must choose one. And let me tell you here, if you're still sitting on the fence, you must choose, as Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. God calls out, taste and see that God is good. The gospel demands our total allegiance. You see 2 Corinthians there. Chapter 5, verse 14, where he writes, For the love of Christ, what? Say it with me. For the love of Christ trolls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might, what? No longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, he writes, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. 
Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, he writes, the new has come. The gospel demands your total allegiance. Unfortunately, we have spent most of our years and decades and centuries saying that all you have to do is say a simple little prayer. Just make him the Savior. You don't have to make him Lord. You can do that later when you're older. Just say this simple little prayer. You'll be saved. But as the rich young man who went to Jesus and said, how can I obtain eternal life? Jesus said, well, obey all the commandments. He says, I've done these since my youth, as he proudly justifies and reason with himself. You can almost imagine and see his beaming face and maybe the swell of his chest as he feels Jesus is affirming me. And Jesus looks to him and says, well, good. Now sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. I can almost hear the pin drop and the breath go out of him. He walked away devastated because he had much good. He chose the money. What are you choosing today? The cost of following Christ is all that you have. Some of you are here today and say, well, the cost of Christ is I'll come to church once on Sunday. And for special events, don't bother me about Thursday. Don't tell me what to do on Friday with my buddies. And allow me to say and do anything as long as I'm in my own house that I'm not hurting anyone. And that's the cost I'll pay. Don't ask me to witness. Don't ask me to tell people about Christ. Don't ask me to give up anything. Don't ask me to, allow my, you know, to love my wife and to forgive. Don't ask me to do those things. That's way too much. But my friend, if that's your attitude, then today... You stand seated wherever you are, damned. For you have not counted the cost and followed him. The Christ or the gospel demands your whole allegiance. Those are strong words. It's not my words, it's the words of the gospel, it's the word of Christ. And I pray here today that you'll make that decision today if you have not. That you'll abandon all that the world has and see that He's the pearl of great price. He's the great treasure that's hidden. He's the living water, the living bread. Those are probably difficult words for the Galatians as it is to us. But that's the words of Scripture. So what must be our response? I'm going to share with you quickly three things. Now the Holy Spirit's going to do this work. I don't know where you are today. I may not even hit one of the things you may need to do. But we allow God's work to work in your hearts individually. So here's where you need to begin praying. If this is true, if these three things are true, if I have to stand in the gospel or those who stand 
or do not stand in the gospel are cursed. If it's true that the gospel must be preeminent in my life, if it's true that the gospel demands my total allegiance, then what must I do? What is God calling me to do today? Let me give you three. First, you need to pick up your cross and follow Christ. You need to pick up your cross. Luke 14, 27 says, Who does not, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. Let me ask you this. In what ways are you still trying to produce your own righteousness? Is it by attending church, reading your Bible? Is it try, trying to be a good person? Let me tell you, that will not help you. There are good things that we must do. We are, we are created for good works. God says we're not to trust or put our confidence in that. In what ways, let me ask you, are you not satisfied with God? In what ways do you still need the old habits of the world? In which way are you still allowing yourself to be controlled by that? The Bible says you need to pick up your cross and follow Christ. Do not be like Lot's wife, who as she was running from Sodom and Gomorrah, turned her head back because she loved that city only to turn into a pillar of salt. Do not be that person. Abandon. Like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, put your, your fingers in your ears and run away, saying, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. Would you this morning? You and I must pick up our cross and follow Christ. Number two. One way that Christ might be calling you to respond to the Holy Spirit is that you and I, we must be willing to suffer for the sake of the cross. We must be willing to suffer for the sake of the cross. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Are you willing to suffer? If you were in North Korea today, would you join hands with the martyrs of the ancient days? Would you overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and by your testimony and the word of God? Are you ready to be stand up and counted by one of those that is hated by the world? Are you ready to stand up and say, I'm one of those ones that will turn the world upside down, whatever the cost? There are so many Christians today that every time culture and the world comes at us, we retreat one step back, two steps back. God says that we must be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. Willingly, we too must say, don't bother me with trivial things, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Paul Washer, and I would encourage you to go to the Shepherds Conference and download and watch that message on missions. In it, if I may, I want to paraphrase what he said, for it made a big impact on me. One area that our church needs to be starting to willing to suffer is in the mission field. For they too must hear the gospel. For Christ will not return until everyone from every nation, tribe, and tongue, all those that He have called, are brought to Him. So in it He says that you are either sent, 
to the mission field. And many are sent, and they bear the marks of forsaking all and going to a new country. It may be the marks of a lost family, of lost income, of lost freedom. It may even bear the cost of persecution. But he also says there are those who are to give and send. So are you one of the ones that are to go, or are you one of the ones that stay here and we're to send? And he likened, I love this imagery. Again, go to him and read it because he does it in a much powerful way in his anointed teaching. He says a missionary is like a big hole. That's the world. And we're sending a man and a woman, a family into that big hole. And the only thing that they have to hold on to is a rope. It's coarse and it's tough, but yet it holds them as they go into that world to share the gospel. Get this imagery, great word picture. And he says on the other side of that rope is God's people, those who are called to say, stay here and send. And so they are holding onto the rope as they lead them and let them down further and further into the darkness of the world as they share the gospel, the light of the gospel. But he says, those who bear the mark of Christ are those who are going down, but even those who are sending themselves ought to carry the marks of exhaustion and calloused hands as they hold on to the rope. Let me see your hands. Are they calloused? Are you exhausted? We're not willing to suffer. for the sake of Christ. And there will be many of us that may enter into the gates of heaven and our hands are going to be so smooth with energy left over because we did nothing for the sake of Christ. Thirdly, what must be our response? We must continually be rejoicing in the gospel. We must continually be rejoicing in the gospel. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been what? Healed. Amen? Amen? The wounds there are the souls that are just marked by sin. We ought to be rejoicing in the gospel. Even in your physical suffering, even in your emotional suffering, your financial suffering, the suffering that you're here today for the cause of Christ, that suffering ought to bring you rejoicing. We'll see this in James when he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you find yourselves in diverse, in a varieties of trials, for it brings endurance and patience. For suffering itself shows us the glory of God. Does what Christ done for you motivate you to read the Bible, and to pray and to give testimony? Does dwelling on the gospel motivate you to fight sin? Give praise to God for suffering 
or lead you to a greater trust in God's providence? If not, would you decide today, would you invite God's Spirit to say, I will continually rejoice in the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. God has called us to pick up our cross and follow Him. He's told us that we must be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel and that we must continually be rejoicing in the gospel. These are Paul's words to the Galatians and these are God's words to you and I today in 2014. May God rejoice as we love the gospel and share the gospel and thank Him for the gospel. Father, bring us to this point. Father, will you just drive us to, us to our knees this week? Let us not forget your words. Let us write these down and print them on our hearts. Lord, let us ask, what is our response? Expose our hearts and our motivation. Father, I pray that you would just do the, whole, the hard work of turning up the soil of our hearts. May it find deep soil. And Lord, today, would you just bring in the fruits and the rejoicing of the gospel. May we stand together with one voice, with one heart, loving each other for the sake of the gospel. We pray this in the name of your Son. God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.